The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Very active starting a business. It takes a lot of gumption. I really want to dig in deep, figure out what makes these people tick, how they are leveraging their success to make the rest of the world a better place. You know, maybe have a couple of giggles along the way. From the Pod 617 studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Kilroy Report, the podcast that shares the stories of entrepreneurs and agency owners doing extraordinary things in an ordinary world. Now here's your host, Tim Kilroy. Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome to the Kilroy Report, where we talk about fascinating people doing fascinating things, mostly in the marketing and sales industry, and I am so happy today to have with me... Mark Avila from 3 Media Web, which is a fantastic web development slash marketing slash we help bring the sexy back to non-sexy industries agency that is located in Grand Rapids and in central Massachusetts. And Mark, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Tim. Really appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, well, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. Um, Thank you. And it's not just your beard. Which is, which is pretty magical. But what I've, uh, the thing that really sort of attracted uh, me to you was, uh, was, frankly, your LinkedIn generosity that you were always giving and offering insight and never asking for something. Because in my LinkedIn world, like I've got a formula. I do five gives and then an ask because whatever. Like I, I, like, I like to get stuff too. But I don't think that I have ever seeing you do something that's sort of overtly promotional in it. Yeah. And you would be right. I mean, I have always taken the slow organic track. Uh, I've always found that the more you can offer from a knowledge in sharing uh, perspective that people will sort of realize that you are potentially an expert in a certain field. And at some point, someday, they may reach out to you because they, they feel that there's some trust factor there. So yeah. um, I, I love to share knowledge. I love to help people in general. And it doesn't always mean making money on it. It's just, sure. you know, it's something that I like to do. And it, it has indirectly and directly helped me in my business over the last you know, two decades, numerous times. So it's just something that I know eventually will you know, come full circle. So it's just something that I choose to you know, do as much as I can. Yeah. And it, it, it really, it really works. You're like, you're a, a welcome presence in my, in my, in my LinkedIn newsfeed. So tell me about three media web. You mentioned this two decades. So it's been going on for a long time. Yeah, so I, I like to say we started right after the dot-com bust, so I, I missed out on that whole opportunity, but it was kind of good because uh, I didn't lose anything either. But, you know, basically I was working at a software company in, in Massachusetts. I was on the web team. It was really my first job while I was actually uh, in college, and uh, I got this really great internship opportunity, and I really... At what company was that? It was a, a company at the time was called Essential Software, and then they ended up getting acquired by IBM pretty much like a year after I had started. Well, it's, um, it's clearly the Avala effect. 
Well, the funny thing is they actually, I, I got laid off after I took the job because of the acquisition during the whole <laughs> process. So at first I was like really bummed out about it, but A, I made some really great contacts there and B, they actually came back and like basically when I got laid off, I was kind of, you know, already thinking about starting my own business. Yeah. And so at that point I was like, well, the best opportunity that I'll ever have. So I actually started 3 Media Web right after I got laid off and they actually became my first client. Uh, oh, how and fantastic. so I worked, IBM was, you know, a client of ours for, I think, three or four years, um, because in the end, um, A, I knew the people that went over to IBM, and two, they knew that I did good work, and they were looking for, you know, outside contractors, and so I was like, well, I'm not a contractor, I have a company, so you can hire my company, and so they became my biggest client for several years. So, so I mean, that's a story to, I mean, that's a story that you should share, and you could probably turn it into like an, an online course. Like how to land IBM as your, your, how to land one of the fortune 50 as, as your first client with no experience. If I did it on purpose, maybe, <laughs> but it was, <laughs> it was purely just dumb luck. So, uh, who, who, that's who the, well, I must say in the world of entrepreneurship, um, luck is completely underrated. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's, it's a big part of it. I've always found luck is probably half of it. The other thing is just working hard and doing a good job by people. And so you you have to do things right. You have to be available to the luck. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So, so, so tell me what is three media web look like today? So today we're, when we originally started, I'm a web developer by trade. So that's how we started as a web development company. So we, we did web development jobs, but we morphed over the years after web development and doing that for several years, people were coming to us and saying, well, I also want you to do design. So we're like, well, we don't do design, but enough people kept asking about it that I said, okay, well, maybe now we need to do design as well. And then that also happened a number of years later with the digital marketing side. And so we just kind of saw the writing on the wall. We were designing and building great looking websites, but, you know, customers were coming back to us and saying, Hey, it didn't actually help us move the needle in our business. We just have this shiny new website, but it's not actually doing anything. And so in the beginning, I was like, well, that's your fault. And that's your problem because you didn't tell us, but then you hear it enough times and it's like, well, maybe it's, it's our fault and it's something that we need to address. So then, then I started saying, okay, well, how do we actually, you know, build this out? And so today we're a full service agency. And what we are doing is, is really merging all of those things together where it's not just one or the other. We're not just doing design. We're not just doing a uh, digital marketing campaign. It's every project is, is a mixture of all of that. So we call that digital experience optimization. And when we are doing a project, we're looking at what the end result is going to be starting from the start or starting from the beginning, as far as how we're going to design it, how we're going to engineer the user experience, and then how that's going to lead into some type of digital marketing campaign after the fact. Right. And, and don't, for the most part, target the industries that most developers and marketers do. You know, you're not chasing fast growth e-com or, or anything like that. Who, who is your customer today? Really is the, we go after the midsize company, the, the middle market type companies. So we came, sort of came up working with the small mom and pop type businesses, and we've moved up the, the food chain a little bit. And so we kind of landed in this midsize area. And because I had early experience with big enterprise, we were able to kind of use that mentality and focus on the midsize client. And so for us, we really like that because it's usually a company that 
has either like a really small marketing team that just needs help in executing. And so they can't necessarily go out and build, you know, their right. own full, full, you know, skill set team. You know, usually they have one, two, three, or five, you know, people in the marketing department, uh, but they need so much more than just what those two or three people have. And so at the end of the day, we help them execute and we help them drive whatever the business goals are uh, on the marketing side. And then we help them look good to management so that we're helping partner with them to say, okay, well, we're going to you know, come together and we're going to partner and we're going to help the business succeed. And we'll, we'll take this on and you take that on, but ultimately we're working together for those mid-sized clients. And, and define mid-size. So I would say, you know, anywhere from 10 million in revenue up to, you know, 250, 500 million in revenue, a yeah. uh, hundred, you know, up to a hundred employees. And so it's, it's not necessarily like a fortune 500, but it's companies that have multiple locations, have 50 to hundred employees and can spend, you know, anywhere from 50 to hundred K a year in, in, in our engagement. Right. And, and I think something that's super interesting about, about that market space compared to sort of many earlier stage agencies who were working with earlier stage companies is, is by the time you're at a sort of $50 million, there certainly are existential threats, but you see them coming for a long time. So there's, you can be more thoughtful and you can do more experimentation because frankly, if something, if something doesn't work, nobody's going out of business, right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's the, the people that we're working with, they know their stuff. They're yeah. not just starting off in marketing. It's these people are proven successes in their own right. And so they, right. they, they, they call us out immediately if we don't know our stuff also. So it's, it's really great to be able to work with people that do know what the lingo is and what is possible and stuff like that. And we're able to work with them to some of these programs and experiments and trying to figure out what is going to work and what is going to move the needle. And you're right. It's, it's not necessarily the type of thing that the, the company is going to go under if they don't right. do it, but they may lose market share to their competitors. And so how do we help them be able to compete uh, better with the industry landscape? Right. Now, what, so, and what do the companies do mostly for the, 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 what kind of verticals do you attack and do you, or do you even think about it that way? You're just looking for size. No, I mean, we definitely specialize in certain verticals. So lots of manufacturing, a lot of software tech companies, some hardware companies as well. But we've been doing a lot with biotech, life science, and healthcare as well. And then uh, lately, it's been a lot of nonprofit. So I would say those four or five yeah. verticals, definitely all B2B. Like we don't do any retail. We do a little bit of e-commerce, but it's usually like B2B. E-commerce, sure. like for like a manufacturing company that wants to sell these big machines on online or whatever, yeah. or they just have a product catalog that they want to do some type of like a request, a quote type yeah, of thing, sure. but lots of B2B and, and a lot of industrial software tech and health slash life science companies. Right. That's, that's, that's awesome. And for many folks, since they're not Amazon or they're not in whatever silly market or Facebook group you might be in, those people don't necessarily seem inherently digital. Is that, is that a fair thing to say? Or, or is that just, is that just sort of, uh, that is just that sort of ignorance talking? 
No, I mean, I would say it's changed a lot over the last couple of years. I mean, especially in manufacturing, there's a whole big movement. I think it's called like Industry 4.0, but it, it's changed a lot. And so we are, we do see a lot more sophistication in the digital marketing. But one thing that we're doing right now, it's helping kind of figure out where to prioritize and what to do with it all. Because we have you know, some clients that are doing a lot of these things, but they don't really know which knobs to dial up and down or really to have like in a holistic strategic approach to all of this stuff and to make sure that it's all communicating correctly, especially since everything is getting so much more technical now. Yeah. You know, it's not just enough just to have all this stuff running. It's how does all this stuff need to communicate with, with each other, share data and also report on it. So right. a lot of it now is just trying to figure out, okay, well, you have all this stuff. How do we actually make sense of it? And how do we best use your budget so that we can pave the way forward for next year when, you know, we want to talk about increasing more budget. So it's, it's helping them spend their money wisely as well. Right. So, so in that, in that sense, you've significantly elevated yourself from a technical execution to sort of marketing services and technical execution. And then there's now design and I'm sure you do some copywriting and now that you're doing also sort of performance maximization, you're really stepping into a partnership with your clients instead of being the, their agency. And how has that changed the kind of people that you want to hire? I mean, it's definitely made it more complicated, especially since I'm not a digital marketer by trade. You know? yeah. So I've, I've learned a lot of it and I can do some stuff, but at the end of the day, I'm not the one who's you know, really driving the strategy. And so that's, that's a good thing. And so first of all, it's, we've, we've had to really add on to the company to make sure that we can be capable of, of you know, doing the things that we promise that we're going to do. And then it's also about trying to make sure that we're staying on top of stuff and, and making sure that the, the things that our clients are needing and asking us for, we, we are able to, to deliver. And in order to do that, you have to have the right team in place. And so right. we, we built out our, design and development team. And you know, we sort of perfected that over the years and it's very process driven, but we've basically been spending the last five, you know, six years building up the digital side. And so over the last two years, it's really, you know, started to start to hum together. And now it's, we're trying to figure out how to continue to cross-pollinate the teams and cross-pollinate right. the services. So we're just trying to continue to blend everything, the, the service, the team, the client base. So it, it's just, it, it makes it more complicated in general. So if you're not a, let's jump, let's go back five years. And you just said you're not a digital marketer, but how did you hire your first digital marketer? So I, I basically was the person that was originally driving the, the digital marketing team. And so I would actually, I, I taught myself Google ads. I taught myself analytics and uh, stuff like that. So I had a pretty good, and I called it like digital marketing light. You know, we didn't do like super complex stuff, but we did uh, paid media. We did, you know, some paid social and we did some organic content. Uh, basically we subscribed to the inbound philosophy to some degree. Sure. Yep. And, you know, so we did digital light where that was enough to help our clients and to get them at least beyond where they currently were. But then it, the needs and the questions and the uh, the clients that were coming to us, it was starting to get 
to a point where it was beyond even my abilities. So we decided, okay, well, we really need to build out a proper digital marketing team. And so we started hiring and, and interviewing people and we've had an evolution of the team and to where we are today. And a couple of years ago, we brought on Jess Hennessy, who's actually now our CEO. And she was really the one that was the, the biggest catalyst to you know, building it out properly and having people on the team with the right skill sets and the right expertise and trying to figure out not only what we need to do today, but what is, you know, tomorrow look like and where do we want to go as a company as far as how do we want to help our clients uh, succeed? And so that has really helped us to become uh, what we are today. Okay. So, so you, you let the cat out of the bag about my (laughs) next question or my next topic. I was about to say, this has been a really big year for you in a lot of ways, like an enormous, like an enormous number of changes and, and enormous recognition. So let's start with, with the most recent thing. So it seems like your, your family has uh, just increased. Yep. We, we just received our third daughter. My wife uh, gave birth to our third daughter about a month ago. So we have uh, a little baby in the house that we're still uh, getting used to after a little bit of a hiatus of about five or six years between the other two kids. Well, that's, that's, I think that's certainly like the biggest event uh, of, of the last 12 months, but let's, let's step back. What was it? Two months ago, Inc. Magazine came out with their, their Inc. 5000 list. Yep. And were there, was there, was there anything particularly interesting on that list, Mark? Well, besides us being on that list for the first time. Okay. Right. So you were on the Inc. 5000 list. Wait a minute. But you're, you're a 20 year old company. Isn't that for like startups and whatever? No, it's not. It's actually it, the, I forget what the actual like description is, but it's, you know, the fastest growing private companies in America. And so, especially over the last 10 years, I mean, we've just been consistently growing 10, 15, 20, 25% year over year. And so uh, last year we actually had uh, some pretty solid growth in, into this year as well, but I think basically they, they average it out over the last three years. And so uh-huh. last year we we applied for it. It was actually the first year that we were eligible because you have to hit a certain uh, amount of revenue yeah. for you know, the yeah. trailing three years. And so last year was the first year that we were eligible to apply. And so it was always something that I kind of looked up to, you know, especially seeing other aspirational agencies that we follow get on the list and stuff like that. So we, we applied, we got on and we got a decent uh, position. I think we were like 3,200 out of 5,000. So, yeah, so, so but, terrible. So, but, but, but so like you were the classic 20 year overnight success story, right? I mean, yeah. like you, and, and so, and so what's, what's different about the last three years of growth compared to the previous seven? I mean, it's a, it's all blur, <laughs> you know, at this point, but I mean, we've, we've always been trying to figure out how to grow. And so our problem has never been about growth. It's about managing the growth. And so we've always been very fortunate to have lots of companies that want to work with us. Our Mm -hmm. problem was always, how do we manage it in a sustainable way to make sure that A, we don't kill ourselves and B, we don't piss people off. And so reputation and customer relationships has always been hugely important to me. And so I always wanted to make sure that we were uh, able to do what we say and people would want to work with us. And so that's really the, the part that's been the hardest over all the years. Really the, the last three years that's really helped us be able to manage that growth is bringing on a leadership team. 
And so uh, for a long time, it was like me. the third, the third change. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the, and so I've always said, I didn't want to do this by myself. And so we, we've always had a great team, but you know, I wanted to put together a leadership team that basically were, were in it with me. And so that we were thinking about how to work on the business instead of in the business all the time. And so I wanted people around me that were going to help me look to how to grow it, how to manage it, how to look to the future. And so I think that's really where it started to get to where it is today. Cause then I had people around me that were more experienced than me in business and were more knowledgeable in you know other areas of the business. And so it really leveraged my my core skill set, but then add on to it and also help us really focus on the business. Right. So they, they have compensatory strengths, right? Absolutely. Yep. So, so I'm going to say two things here just to, to uh, sort of contrast you to the state of the marketing agency industry. So first of all, it took, you plugged along for a long time at 15 to 20% annual growth, right? Which by the way, is awesome. Like that's really super solid growth because that means you're doubling the size of your company every four years, just about. Yeah. But, you know, like, didn't you want to have one of those, I got to seven figures after 45 days in business and I outsourced everything kind of agencies. That's all whatever passive income and blah, blah, that sort of stuff. I wanted to, I just didn't know how to. <laughs> All right, okay. Cool. You know, and so I'm, I'm a worker by, by my nature. And so I, I, I will sit down and I will figure something out and I'll work. And so the, the downside to that is you don't pop your head up to A, breathe sometimes and two, to really look at the big picture. And so that was always my you know, downfall is that I was you know, too far into the weeds. And essentially I was, I was working alongside the rest of the team. And so that, that did not help us to really, we, we probably could have grown faster and bigger if I had a different approach from the beginning, which was maybe be more, not necessarily hands-off, but to be more high level. But I've been working in the business basically for the last 20 years. And so really now it's, I am able to take a step back and that kind of leads to the next change, which was I, I stepped aside as CEO earlier this year. I promoted Jess Hennessy uh, to the CEO position because uh, of you know, how she had proven herself on the digital marketing side and all the stuff that she was doing in the business and helping us grow. And at the end of the day, it's, I, I had a good run for 20 years, but I kind of wanted to get back to what I really liked to do, which was helping people and sharing knowledge, helping our team, helping our clients. I love doing sales. So I wanted to be able to, you know, all, focus more on that as well and really use those things to help the business even more. And so, and, and that was, you know, a huge change for us and, and for me personally as well. Yeah. So, so I know after having sold a couple of agencies, like it's really hard going from the head of the table to a seat at the table. And how did you manage that, that change? Yeah. I mean, it, it was not a hard change for me because one thing is I, I would always tell my team, like, don't call me your boss. I'm not your boss. Like, I really want, I've always wanted to create a very flat organization. I always wanted, to, you know, everybody to feel like we're in this together. So to some degree, I, I kind of saw myself as someone that was just on the team. But at the same time, I, I have the responsibility of, of managing a company. So at the end of the day, I was happy to bring somebody in that I was, A, comfortable with, that the rest of the company was also 
comfortable with and that I could trust and that I knew would bring us in the right direction. So again, it, it, it allows me to focus on what I really like to do. So that really excited me and, and let me at ease with it. And so at the end of the day, it's, I kind of feel like I brought it to a certain level and we've done really good and it's been a long haul and we're in a really good position. We're debt-free. We have great clients. We have a great team. We're doing good stuff. So it's, it's a really good time. And it's also a good time to hand the baton to somebody else to see what somebody else can do. And so I'm just sort of interested to see like, what does the next 20 years look like with somebody else driving the process and stuff like that. So for me, it was easy. So, so let me, let me ask you this. So you're a really thoughtful guy. And I, I think you probably, you seem like, you seem like someone who's a planner and that you would have sort of chewed, chewed over this for a very long time. But is there, is, is there a circumstance or, or a time where, where you can see that even though I assume that you're the majority owner and all that kind of stuff, where you can say that your management team or your operational management team has a, a different idea than you do. And, and you have to sort of, as a, actually as a good sort of chairman or chairperson, like put your hands up and say, I've got to let the operational team run with this idea, even if I disagree. Has that happened yet? I don't think it's happened where, you know, I've had to veto anything, but you know, a, we're all, we're also doing EOS. If if you don't know what that is, it's the entrepreneur operating system. So that has helped us create a lot more structure in the company and also provide methodology of how we different opinions and how do we approve stuff and how do we figure out what our goals are and objectives and stuff like that. So that's for the most part eliminated, you know, any potential issues with that. But at the end of the day, I also have to trust my leadership team. And so I've made a very conscious decision to, you know, speak less during our leadership meetings and listen more. And it's just something that I've had to work on to, to try to let others start the process. And maybe sometimes I'll, especially if they ask, I'll, I'll give my opinion, but just trying to be more an an observer. And at the end of the day, I said, Hey, there's four of us all together. If the three of you feel strongly about something, then I trust your opinion. And we set up guidelines on what you need to come to me for. And if, if, if it's not that, then the, the rest of you guys are have full autonomy. And uh, at the end of the day, the only thing I, I really, really want to be in the loop with everything, it's anything that's uh, a legal uh, liability. So if it's yeah. you know, a contract or something that's potentially going to be trouble sure. for us uh, from a legal standpoint, I want to be definitely involved in that. But for the most part, everything else, like I still want to be in the loop, but you don't need to wait for me to say yes or no. Right. Uh, and so, and now you have to submit requests for days off to your boss. I'm still working on the days off part, but hopefully I'm, <laughs> I'm getting there soon. No, no, you, you have to, you have to, like you're, I'm sure that you, that your CEO would say, we don't want you getting burned out because. Oh know. yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, especially like with the birth of uh, my child, we all made a decision that I was going to take two weeks off of paternity. And I, I, I had threats that they were going to shut down my email if I didn't, I, you know, honor it and stuff like that. And so I said, okay, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. And so, how'd, how'd that go? Mostly good. You know, there, <laughs> there may have been a couple of emails here and there uh, in between the whole process, but you know, for the yeah, most part, it, it was as long experience. as there were baby pics, that would yep. be fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, well, so something that, that we, in, in one of my agency growth programs that we really push is we get the CEO to take either a long weekend or a week long vacation without their laptop. You that know? seems very foreign to me, but I, that, that, that would be a dream. Yeah. And, and, but 
like we plan it out. So yeah. like, like, okay, in March, you're going away for a week. Doesn't matter where you go, what you do, but you know, we're going to hide your laptop in a box somewhere. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's such a, such a powerful exercise in both sort of understanding that your job as a, as a leader isn't to do the stuff, but rather to lead the people that do the stuff. Yeah. 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 That, I, to I totally agree. Cause I think at the end of the day, it's, and I'm even seeing this now it's, it's the more I remove myself, the better we do. And so you know, to some degree, people have just sort of gotten used to kind of looking to me, or at least expecting me to be a part of every decision. And that's, it's not sustainable. It's not scalable. And it also doesn't allow people to, to really grow and, and take ownership and stuff like that. So it, it really allows people to shine. The more I've you know, taken myself out of it, I think it really does help the team uh, be who, who, who they want to be and, and brings out their yeah, potential. Yeah. Uh, and I, I always think about it this way, the further away you get from the work, it's the, the longer your lever is. So I yeah. feel like in some respects, you can have a much more strategic impact if you if you are removing yourself from the, 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 the details. Yeah. Because, and and you, know, you have to remember, like I, I've been doing this for 20 years. So I've done basically every job in the company right. at some point. And so it's hard, it's hard to teach, you know, an old dog, new tricks. And so, right. and it's not because I don't want to, it's just, it's sometimes it's just old habits. And so sometimes sure. uh, I have to you know, like kick myself or I have to like tell people like, you know, feel free to yell at me if I'm going back to old habits, but it's, it's just hard. And so that's why it's, it's just healthy just to start removing yourself from those pieces. Uh, Cause then you, you start to let, let the company shine basically. Yeah. Right. So if you like, if you had to start three web all over again, except you were starting it today, not, not back in the dark ages when servers came with pull starts and the internet was written on cuneiform tablets, how would you think about it differently, if at all? I mean, I think I, I would definitely look at a, you know, pricing, because I think for a long time, I was afraid to use effective pricing strategies or even just to, you know, look at what the market uh, is willing to pay. And so for a long time, we, you know, undercharged. And so I think that hurt us a lot just because it uh, didn't really allow us to do the things that we wanted to do or to build the team that we wanted to do. So I think just being more confident in you know, what value you provide and charging what uh, clients are willing to pay. So I would say that's one. And two, it's um, really focusing on the business versus in the business. And so for a long time, I, I was just too involved in, in the business. So I think any business moving forward, it's really going to be from that perspective is making sure that we have the right team. With EOS, it's right people, right seats. So making right. sure that that is first and foremost and letting them manage and just being more of a sounding board and someone who's helping answer questions and providing some direction, but ultimately letting the experts uh, do what they know how to do. But that's, that, that's, that's great. I mean, I think those are are. are, are are important. So even after you've been in the business for 10 years or 15 years, you were still having some sort of maybe pricing reticence or desire to provide extraordinary value or maybe even imposter syndrome, though you seem pretty chill. So I wouldn't think that'd be a big part of it, but, but 
you know, why, why was pricing hard for you? I'm just a nice guy. I don't know. Like uh, sometimes I, I just sort of feel bad or I undervalue. It's just like it, some things come so naturally to us and to me too. So sometimes just not realizing that not everybody can do some of this stuff. And so something that would take us a very little time, it's like, oh, maybe it's only an hour or two worth of work. So maybe at the time if we're charging hundred bucks an hour or 75 bucks an hour or whatever, it's, it shouldn't cost that much. You know what I mean? So and yeah. the other thing is too, is working with small mom and pop businesses in the beginning, it's when they're, when you're working with a business owner, that business owner has a very you know, personal psychological attachment to that dollar. And so to some degree that kind of got us used to almost being afraid to ask because whenever the subject of money or budget or adding more costs, it was always a very emotional discussion. Like, ah, it's it's going to cost that much. And and where with, with larger businesses, like you still have to be a good steward of the client's budget and making sure that you're providing value, but you know, everybody's got a job to do and it's more objective and everybody's got budgets. And so yep. it's really just about executing and making sure that we're, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and providing that value. And so it's easier now. It's easy. And it's, yeah, it's certainly when, when you're not, ask, not asking someone to reach into their own pocket, but right. rather into their budget, it is, it is much less emotional. Right. That's, and, and I want to, on your LinkedIn profile, you've changed your, your title to chief helper, which is awesome, but also there's something in parentheses where it says, I'm not selling. Now you just said you love sales, right? And you want to do more of that, but tell me why you felt it's really important out on LinkedIn to say, I'm not selling. Yeah. I think, you know, everybody experiences this. There's just so much spam going on with LinkedIn that I, I generally just want to build a network of people. And so, and because I also moved to Grand Rapids three years ago, I've basically 17 years building up my network in the Boston, New England area. And so I'm also kind of starting over in the Grand Rapids area. And so I'm just in network building mode and reaching out to people and just yeah. trying to make contacts and get to know more people. And so I, I would, once in a while, someone would tell me, I'm not interested in what you're selling, or I would just get you know no response. And so it just kind of dawned on me one day, like they probably think I'm trying to sell them. And honestly, I'm not. I mean, I, I hope that one day if you're somebody's in the need and they, they think of us that we can provide service, but that is not my, you know, primary intention. It's, I just want to build out my network. And so I forget how it dawned on me, but I decided like, oh, I'm just going to try it, see how it works. And it's actually funny. I get so many responses from people that say, the only reason why I accepted your request is because you said I'm not selling. And it's funny. I was like, well, that, that's kind of funny. I didn't yeah, even think, yeah, yeah. you know, people would even notice, but it's so funny how many responses I get from that. And I, when I think that's, that's sort of very authentic. Yeah, right? absolutely. You know, so I think, I, I think for anyone who's listening, if you were thinking about being disingenuous by saying I'm not selling and then immediately pitch, that's not going to work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And they're going so, to kill my mojo if they do that. So please. Don't do that. Right. And listen, the not selling, selling is working for Mark. Yeah. So leave it alone, people. Exactly. Right. So get, get your own, get your own, your own deal. Right. Yep. So, so what is the, what's, what's been the hardest thing for you to manage in terms of, of, of growing your agency, but also a sort of being able to see your agency as something that is bigger than you, right? Because many, many founders 
they and their agency are the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's in, in many terms, you know, this is my baby. You know, this is my first baby that I, I've built over a lot of years along with the, the people on the team because we yeah. have people that have been with me for a really long time. But it's, it's really just kind of thinking and hoping that we would get to, you know, a certain stage. And so I, I, I'd always have a lot of people say to me like, oh, you're so lucky, you're an entrepreneur, life must be awesome and stuff like that. And so like, first, it's like you, you're working pretty much 60, 70, 80 hours a week. So it's not always peaches and sunshine. And two, like I never really thought of it as a real business until I felt I could either get hit by a bus or just completely walk away and have the company still running. Yeah. And so right. not until recently did I feel like that would happen. And so I think really just kind of thinking about that over all these years and trying to figure out like, okay, well, how am I going to do this? How, how am I going to learn to you know, grow the company to get to a point? Because we, we would get to a certain stage and say, okay, well, okay, well, we just hired another person and we think we're good. And then we would grow and then we would need another person. So it was just this constant, endless cycle of yeah. growing, needing more people. And we made bad decisions. We were reactive instead of proactive with hiring sometimes, and it wasn't always smooth. So it was just kind of that whole growth and scaling and just trying to put out fires at the end of the day. And so I think you know, it really was just a learning process. It was, yeah. you know, a coming to Jesus moment sometimes. And ultimately I, I, I always wanted to get to a certain stage where I felt like I could really call it a, a real business. And I always felt that a real business didn't depend on one person or the owner. Right, right, right. So that's, that's, Awesome. And now that you've hit that, you know, that you were in a place where you think like, oh, like, like I'm going to take a vacation without my laptop. And, and like, I have I, good news. Like, I'm, I'm going to Costa Rica at the end of the year. And we've already started that whole planning process to make sure that when I do leave, because I'm actually going for a month, that everybody is, is going to be totally all set. That's, that's, that's great. That's, that's super. And and when you look back at the, the, early, the early stages of any company, basically you work really hard to create a job for yourself. Yep. And then, and then for a while you have like, it's, it's a really you know, good paying job and you have a lot of autonomy, but you might have eight or 10 or 12 bosses, all of your clients. And then at some point when you start to add team and you start to grow and add structure, quite, quite surprisingly, you end up with a lot more bosses. All of those people that work with you, your job is there to help them become what they're supposed to be. And they, they, like, and they feel like you are the leader of the company, but you really know that you're the servant to the... And so how do you think about this sort of this idea of, of like entrepreneurial... I mean, it's, it's hard because I, I have complete freedom to do whatever I want, but, you know, at the same time, it's, I don't want to necessarily do anything else because I don't want my company to tank either. And so right. yeah. it was always this struggle. And so I have, I have, as, as long as I have the right tools and the right mentality and, you know, the right structure in place, like the, the sky's the limit. And really I've, I've always kind of felt like there's nobody preventing us from, getting us to where we want to go, except for us and really me, you know, specifically. And so that has always been our roadblock is my ability or inability to kind of figure it all out and to be able to open up and ask for help and to bring in the right people and to structure the company in the right way. And so if I had a business background, maybe been 
uh, better at it, but in, in done it quicker, but I didn't, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, we have so much opportunity, just a being an entrepreneur, B being in, you know, the digital space. And especially where things are going, things are just going at light speed uh, yeah. towards digital. So there's just with the right you know ingredients and the right people in place, there's just unlimited you know opportunity at the end of the day. That's awesome. So so we only have a couple minutes left, and I want to be respectful of your time. But can you tell us a story about a decision you made or an investment you made that was really scary. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely deciding to build out a whole other division of our company, which was the digital marketing side. That was pretty scary. And it took us a while to get right. And we took a bit of a hit in our profits and the the cost to to do so, because it's kind of the chicken before the egg. You have to be able to hire and, and build up the team before you necessarily always have the business coming in the door. That was very scary. COVID was super scary. And one thing that really helped us was that we we were already prepared from a financial standpoint. We had taken out lines of credit a couple of years prior because of some good advice that I had received from different people that I follow. And just navigating COVID in general was super scary, not knowing you know, where things were going to go. And we have this team and just deciding that we were going to weather it one way or another and just trying to make sure that we were communicating and and doing everything that we could within our control. So just that whole process was super scary. But, but, you know, during that time, you also had extraordinary growth, made an amazing leadership change and sort of reestablished or remade your relationship with the company. So those are, those are pretty amazing choices to make when you're scared. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's, I've always been the type of person I'm, I'm willing to take bets, calculated bets. I, I've, I've done a lot of different types of things also. Like I've owned, you know, rental property. I, I dabble a little bit in the stock market and crypto. And so I, I definitely have a, a thick skin when it comes to risk, as yeah. long as I feel it's, it's not going to like totally tank me. And so I think you have to take bets and you have to take risks, but hopefully they're calculated risk. And so even though I might be a little nervous, uh, and like you said earlier, I'm a huge planner. Like we bought a yeah. trampoline for our kids. I spent like three months finding, you know, the perfect trampoline that I wanted. And so that's what I do. And, and so and do, when, you, and do you wrap your kids in bubble wrap too? Nope. Uh, I, I let them get... Should. I let them get cut up and, you know, scrapes and all that stuff, but yeah. I wanted to make sure we had the coolest trampoline in the neighborhood. So, but, but anyways, we, do. We, we do, we, we spent a couple bucks on that thing. It's the pride of Grand Rapids. Uh, I, I don't know about Grand Rapids, but definitely my neighborhood. <laughs> so the thing is I, I do my due diligence. I research, I, I, I do my homework and I don't always get it perfect, but you know, when I do make mistakes, I double down and I just work harder and figure it out. So sometimes I'm nervous about things, but I'm also a lot of times more excited and passionate about it that I'm willing to, to be nervous and, and take that risk. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for your time today. This has been. Thanks, Tim. Really, I appreciate it. Really delightful. And uh, so where can, where can people find you? So on our website, threemediaweb.com, and that's the number three. I'm on Twitter, markavila.com, and that's M-A-R-C. A-V-I-L-A. And I'm also on LinkedIn as well. LinkedIn is really the, probably the primary channel that I spend most of my time on. By the way, like the nicest guy on LinkedIn, I think you should get some sort of award for being arguably the most pleasant person 
on LinkedIn that there is. I, I appreciate it. You're not so bad yourself. Yeah, but I, well, I dropped a few more dad jokes. Yeah. You know, but whatever. It's nothing wrong with that. Like it's what it's what I got, man. It's yep. what I got. So. Got to use what you got. Yeah. All right. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much. This Thanks, has been Tim. a great. Appreciate chat, it. And we'll talk soon. See ya. Bye bye. So I've got a quick question for you. How's your pipeline? If you said anything other than, holy guacamole, it's bursting full, Tim, I've got something to probably put some more appointments on your calendar. It's all about cold email and messaging. You know, right now, cold email is blazing hot. And I've taken everything that I've learned over the last two decades about cold email, the structures, the psychology, the delivery, the list building, and I've put it into Tim's awesome cold email compendium. This guide gives you over 75 different email frameworks with real examples that you can model. Everything from a single rifle shot to the perfect prospect to a multi-message sequence that can excite and qualify potential clients based on your criteria. Tim's awesome cold email compendium can help you dramatically ramp up your pipeline fast. So I want you to check it out at coldemailcompendium.com forward slash podcast. And just for you, the listeners of the Kilroy Report podcast, along with the compendium, I will include some of my client-only trainings, 11 minutes closer to the perfect sales call, and my hour-long lesson on how to win more business for your agency. These alone can add hundreds of thousands of dollars to your revenue, but when we put that together with the giant buckets of leads that you're going to be generating with the frameworks and strategies in Tim's awesome cold email compendium, well you might just find yourself complaining that you just don't know what to do with all your extra money. So that's Tim's Cold Email Compendium at coldemailcompendium.com forward slash podcast.